Good day, my friends. This is Under Review, the tennis podcast from an insider's perspective. I'm Craig Shapiro, and on the show, I talk with the most interesting voices in the sport. We have got a great show for you today. It's our 30th episode, and I wanted to go back to where it all began for me, specifically a second-floor office in a nondescript walk-up in Midtown Manhattan. It was 1995, and I was teaching tennis at the New York Health and Racket Club when an ad for a job came in from the fax machine, Tennis Racket Technician. At that time, to seem more interesting than anything else I was doing. So I applied and ended up following the sun, traveling the world, working in pro tennis. The gentleman who taught me how to do that work is our guest today. If you've read Andre Agassi's biography, you've heard of him. If you're a serious player in New York City, you visited his shop. And if you're a high-level pro, chances are you've enlisted his services. You won't see him at tournaments anymore, and you're not going to hear from him on ESPN or Tennis Channel, but he is a fixture in pro tennis. He's worked for McEnroe, Agassi, Djokovic, and countless others, not only customizing their rackets, but also helping to transform their games. Racket technician extraordinaire Roman Prokis is going to tell us what current trends in tennis technology he's seen, what America required from him when he came over from Czechoslovakia, and what specifically he did to Novak's racket that brought him back from a dark place to reclaim the mantle of world number one. We met up with Roman in his shop on 51st Street between 2nd and 3rd amongst the customized rackets of McEnroe, Agassi, Burditch, and Tiafo, and I fought off memories of dry, chapped fingertips and the FedEx guy who rolled his eyes at me daily when he came to pick up the cargo. This is different, man. I worked here. <laughs> it's a strange place to be right now. Um, the person you hear laughing is Roman Prokis. The, the best part of the Agassiz book is the one page about you. It's pretty cool, <laughs> well, huh? That's my claim to fame, yeah. Well, they wrote it nicely, huh? <laughs> yeah, he was super generous. He was very nice. We're on 51st Street between 2nd and 3rd, 228 East 51st, and we're in the lab. This is where it all happens. I mean, if you look around here, there's, there's lead tape and there's tapes. There's rackets everywhere. What happens in this room? Well, this part of the room, this is where we do the full customizing of the rackets. Like the front, that's more the retail, you know, where we sell rackets to the public like just any other store and we do the stringing and, and strings and all that stuff. Here, this is really the interesting part. You see the, the, the jigs, you can mold handles. What kind of separates us from everybody else is basically you come to me and you say, I want a racket made. You know, you, you buy a bobble on rackets, let's say from us, but you say, I want a head-shaped handle, and I want it longer, and I want a different weights and balance and all this. So this is where we do now, all that. Listen, the racket connoisseur, the tennis connoisseur, the pro players, the people that are deeply invested in the sport, this is one of the real behind-the-scenes things that you can do. This is for the serious person. You, you know what? It's the candy store for people who love tennis. You know, we just had Manarino here twice this week, and he, every time he comes, he said, oh, my God, I love this place. But you know what? It's a little bit of a misconception that this is just for the pros. Kind of what makes me a little bit different from these other services who work for pros is that we brought a pro-level service to everybody, you know, to the retail people, yeah. to people at the, you know, my level, your level, whatever level you are. You know, if you have kids who are seven, eight, nine years old, yeah. I do a lot of racket customizing for them. What does it mean? 
Some rackets are too long, so we make them shorter and on and on and on. Basically, the fact of the matter is, is the, the rackets, that they don't come out of the factory is the same. Yeah. And that's the whole impetus for it. Yeah. Cool, let's just get right into it. This is the volume. You guys wanna have a seat or? Yeah, we could sit. So we do a five set format. Our first set's called the Off the Court Report. It's where we talk about what you've been up to. You have three shops two in New York and one in Florida. But this really here is the home base. This is the Death Star. This is the one, right? <laughs> The death of me. <laughs> the death of you, Star. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And, you, and you've now been in here a really, really long time. Since 97, at this location. Long time, yes. Since 97, that's when I met you. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, long time. And you also have now an operation in Long Island City at City View Record Club. We have, you know, we own the pro shop there and my wife also runs the, because it's big squash facility, so she also runs the squash. And City View, if you're in New York, that's one of the nicest places there is to play tennis. It's a private club and, and you know, what's it, about eight courts? Seven courts, seven yeah. courts, squash, gym, spa, place. beautiful place. And then now you guys also have another operation at Lake Nona. That is correct. The big pro shop there is owned by Fromus. You know, my son actually, he kind of runs the pro shop there, right? Which is really not our business, but... You owned know, by who? Fromuth. It's a big distributor who just got the concession to run the pro shop. Got it. There's two separate things. The retail part that's in the main building, but then you have the PD, the player development, at the USTA, you know, and that's where I am located. I really have a duplicate of this space there in a smaller scale, oh, where do. I can do a lot, all, most of this work I can do there, and I work with all the pros. So let's say I was there the whole December for about four weeks, I worked with close to 200 players. But what it, what beauty there, because I am on court with them, so I am watching them play, I am telling them, don't play with this, don't play with that, why don't we try, you know, different rackets, different weight, balance, strengths, tensions, and the beauty of it is that, you know, I go to my space, I get it done, and 10 minutes later, I'm back on court, and they continue this testing as opposed to here where... By know, the way, that's something no one ever sees. Is Nobody you, does it. No federation does it anywhere. This is really what they call an on-court consultation. Roman can take a look at the player's stroke production and, and what's happening and make some suggestions and adjustments and make some tweaks that ultimately can maximize the player's whatever it may be, right? Power, spin, control. Everything, like for example, just to use an example, like Francis Tiafo, let's say we changed his rackets by a little bit tweaking it all of the last year, we added a little bit weight. Be specific, what's his racket? He plays with the Yonex, the V-Core Pro 97. That's the um, a little bit bigger head than the Warinka, right? No, it's the same, oh, actually. Same. it's a 97. Same they also Warren. make the bigger one, but he plays with the same one. However, there is like three different models within that, that Warinka, you know, layup. Yeah. So he plays with a lighter one. Vavrinka plays really heavy. Yeah. Tiafo plays actually pretty light racket. His customized weight with everything is like 311 grams unstrung. That's light. But also what, let's say, we do for him because he could never find his grip. He would be like, you know, when you go from forehand to backhand and it's kind of you are looking and you don't know where you are. So we change his grip shape more to like a head shape you know, more rectangular handle. The dimensions of the grips from the different manufacturers are different. Very different, yeah. Very different, different. shapes, different dimensions, different everything. So, so you, you know, let's say you play with a head four and three eights and you want to switch to Yonex three eights, you probably need to test because the Yonex three eight is going to feel much bigger. Is that right? For it to you, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, 
what's another example of somebody you, you sorted out? Well, the biggest one probably, you know, is Djokovic, to be honest, because for the 2018 season when, you know, Andre Agassi was helping him and coaching him, he called me right away. This and time said, last year, we're almost on the nose. Yeah, exactly. So he kind of said, what do you think about Djokovic's rackets? And, you know, it was kind of funny because I already thought about it for a couple of years. What he had before was great, but it's outdated. For It's a for tennis from three, four years ago. Explain that. When you watch them play, you kind of see what, what works, what doesn't work. You know, where is the tennis game going? Is it the same as when Andy Roddick played, where, you know, you hit the serve at 140 miles an hour and that meant you won the point? No, it's everybody hits that hard now, so it kind of doesn't mean anything. The courts are slower, everything is slower, so you really, that linear tennis kind of hitting hard through the court, it no longer works. You have to open up the court, you have to create angles. So Djokovic was not really able to do that, not because he's not able, but the racket kind of took him up to a certain level, but then it wouldn't allow him to create what he needed. So I kind of knew it, discussed it a lot with Andre for hours and hours. We created 24 samples, actually. Worked with the manufacturer, worked with head. We basically told them, this is what we need you to do. It was a change of length. It was a change of weight and balance completely. Believe it or not, actually, we made his racket much lighter because people always think the heavier, the better. It's kind of changing. We open up the string pattern so that he can create way more spin. And there was a couple shots that we had in mind that when he plays Nadal, that he needs to be able to do and improve. And look at this. He has three grand slams later. You know, it works. Uh, opening up the string pattern means taking strings out of the racket. So he moved from a, to, was he 16 by 18? No, he, he, before he was 18, 20. And what we worked with, you know, with head basically to redesign a little bit the, the, the spacing of the hole. So he's 18, 19. Which didn't, the string out. which didn't exist before. Because, you, well, you cannot pull the string out because that wouldn't help. So you have to really, the, the, their engineers had to redesign the whole racket so that redesign. it would be 18, 19. And they kind of suggested, well, why don't we go to 16-19? Because that's an existing pattern. Djokovic could not go, nobody can go from 18-20 to 16-19. Because now you have to change your game. You start spraying the ball. Yeah, you spray the ball. You will have to adjust to the racket, which we, we needed to adjust tighter, the racket to him. The tighter the string pattern, the more control you get, but you lose power. You lose power, you lose the ability to create spin. Therefore, you cannot open up the court. And so you couldn't go to a you couldn't go to that wide open of a pattern because he'd start spraying balls. It wouldn't work, and the result was pretty, you know, speaks for itself. Novak, Novak should give you thirty million. Oh, he's probably I'm made, angry. He's probably made <laughs> six hundred million uh, in the last uh, in the last six months. I'll take three. How is that? <laughs> you know how Roman brings an insider professional experience to everyone. Well, we at Under Review want to bring an insider professional podcast to everyone. We go to the tournaments and tennis clubs and pro shops and talk to the most interesting people in the sport, and it has gotten expensive. So we're asking our listeners to think about supporting the show. We've started a Patreon page where you can support the show, and we can offer you cool perks like tennis equipment, autograph magazines, even hitting sessions at exclusive clubs with some of our previous guests. We also offer all of our patrons access to unheard episodes. You can sign up on patreon.com slash underreviewtennis. Please help spread the word. Let's get back to Roman Prokis. This is our second set. We call this the On the Court Report. 
questions. Let's just move into our second set. It's what we call the On Their Court Report. What are some of the trends we are seeing in 2019 with regards to rackets and strings? You know what, the trends are slow in coming, but you know, that's kind of me working with players from all different levels, the best in the world to people like, you know, myself and yourself and the retail level. So you kind of start a little bit sensing the trends and seeing it, you know, for a long time. So for about two to three years, I've been seeing it. Some companies respond to it quicker than others or they just don't see it. But in general, in my book, what I see, the trend is kind of everything is going a little bit backwards in tennis, which I think is a great thing, actually. To a flat blade. Well, rackets are actually becoming a little bit softer, a little bit smaller head size. It's no longer just, well, it has to be 100 or more for it to work, you know, and a little bit more narrow beam so that there is more feel, there is more touch. Therefore, potentially less injuries to people's arm. You have more fun with it. And again, it all comes down to hitting the ball hard no longer wins wins anything. You know, you have to you have to do that, but you also have to create a point. So you have to construct a point. So we're talking pro tennis. Pro tennis. But no. there's you know, whatever happens on pro but, tennis kind of filters down to, to everyday tennis for everybody else as well. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. And do you think that the um, physicality of the players is impacting the flatter feeling rackets, the, the players are in better shape. They are in stronger, better shape. These days, basically, unless you are in absolutely exceptional shape, you have no chance. You have Zero, no chance. You know, it's like being in Lake Nona and seeing this, you know, these kids, 15, 16, 17, you know, the way they work and train off the court. I mean, it's it's they are phenomenal athletes. Phenomenal. Forget the tennis part. They are just ridiculous athletes. One of our guests, Chuck Adams, who you may remember, sure, he, sure. He, he's like, Novak weighs his food. If you're not weighing your food, you got no shot. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, That's it's, like it's, kind of our favorite. And I always tell, talk to people like, you know, you know, we talk about rackets and stuff and then I help them win and this and that. You know, what I always say, it's like, if what I do, let's say, helps half a percent, right? The, however, the other half a percent and half a percent and half a percent is this, food. And it doesn't mean, you know, the night before you eat well as, as opposed to heavy steak. It's your whole this life. This means your life has to, has to be structured a certain way. And that, at the end of the day, you have to eliminate the variables before you go on the court. So if you do all of this, you still might lose anyway because you, the last variable is the other guy. But you have to give yourself the right chance. Racket, equipment, shoes, physicality, diet. Everything has to be absolutely phenomenal. Well, Otherwise, you, you don't what, have a chance. Novak, Novak, man, it looks like he could win the Grand Slam. The way he's playing. The guy is, Look, I, I mean, in my book, the way he's playing, I, my prediction, if I could make one, if I could put a dollar on it, it would be him three Grand Slam this year and Nadal one. Yeah. I mean, I, just, I don't. As long as he stays healthy, obviously. As, obviously, yeah, but he may. Know, yeah. But he could. He may. I think that I have, I have a feeling that he may close the gap on the clay. I thought that it what would. he. I thought that what he did to Rafa, that that kind of beating lingers sometimes. I think it's a it's a fifty fifty, but you know I wouldn't put money against Rafa. You don't bet against Rafa. No, never, never, never. <laughs> never. Tell us something about some of what you're seeing on the ladies' tour in regards to rackets. Is there a new flavor of racket that we're seeing more and more of? I feel like I'm seeing a million Wilsons out there now. You the know green what? It's and the, the, blue. It's the, the trend is exactly the same, like on the on the men's tour. You know, I had this girl from Croatia, let's say, and she came to Orlando to just to do the consultation. 
stayed for a week, former top 20 in the world, had you know some injuries, quarterfinals at Wimbledon. Again, going away from that bigger, wider, stiffer frame, because again, that's where her you know arm injuries what's came an, from. What's an example of a bigger, wider, stiffer frame? That I don't want to like, you know badmouth anybody, but in general, it was the Bobolot pure drive type. Every company has it, but that was the trend where it really worked phenomenally well at the Roddick era. That's but the... now it's really been going back more. Like Bobolot, for example, speaking of Bobolot, they made a new one, Bobolot Pure Drive 98. Softer, smaller, narrower. Now that's a phenomenal racket for, let's say, current trend, the, the way tennis is being played. So, and others, Wilson, you know, Wilson has the new Wilson Clash. Yonex is doing amazingly well. It's all that trend, more feel, little bit less power, you know, that you can, because you create your own power anyway. And the women's trend is exactly the same like with the guys. And is it true that the rackets are adjusting to the string? <laughs> Yeah, the string, I think that if there is a revolution in tennis, it was really strings, you know, rather than rackets. Rackets, it was, you know, Prince Graphite as opposed to, you know, wooden rackets when it changed to graphite. That was the big step in rackets. Rackets, basically, there is always an evolution. The biggest revolution was really the strings. It was the the invention of polyesters and and all the companies make phenomenal ones and they keep improving them so that they get softer, easier on your arm so that actually it's usable by, you know, more people. Let's move into our third set. This is the part of the show where we typically talk about the player's career since you're a player of a different style. Uh, we'll just talk about how you came up. Listen, I know you're Czech. How'd you, how'd you end up in New York to begin with? I just defected because, you know, socialism doesn't work. You defected? I went on vacation to Yugoslavia back then, which doesn't exist, crossed the border to Italy, went to the U.S. Embassy, and they asked me a couple of questions. Will you cut your hair? Because I used to have long hair, believe it or not. And the second one, if there is a war with Russia, are you going to fight? <laughs> I said yes and yes, and they said, welcome to the United States. <laughs> How old were you? I was 20. And then you just bought a ticket and just came over? Yeah, yeah. And the guy at Tennis Port's check? The owner actually was a, was a Czech guy, yes. Tennis Port was the epicenter of tennis in New York City. This is where John McEnroe practiced. This is where all the best pros were. They had red clay courts, as I recall. Mm -hmm. Isn't that right? Yep. They had like 29 indoor, outdoor. It was the best club in New York. This basically. was by far the best club in New York. And the owner of that place was Czech. Yes, he was, yeah. And you just got a job there. Exactly. And you know, the guy who used to do the string in there, his name was Jay Schwey. That's the guy actually you worked for. Right. So he was a really smart guy as far as a businessman, you know, like really getting out there. He was kind of like an agent type person. He wouldn't take no for an answer. So This guy, Jay, was a total madman. Um, but he, at a young age, he was kind of a forward-thinking guy, and he identified this sort of vacuum in the business where the players that were making big money and that were not really they paying attention the to their technology, yeah, they, they, they exactly. didn't have it. There was he, no service for them. He created, this, he created this business. The guy was smart. He looked at the rackets, the same three Wilson rackets off the shelf or the prints, whatever it was, they were all different. He made them the same. He weighed and balanced them. And then he also paid way better attention to stringing and how... Everything was worked out. It was basically paying attention to detail. You know, it was that, you know, the five-star service. 
that basically was missing till then, and that was kind of his creation. And then, you know, I came on came on board. Which I was I am not much of a salesperson, so I'm more about doing the work. You, you were the craftsman. I mean? The craftsman, but he was great at actually doing the you know the the, the selling. Yeah. So he would work in tennis sport. That's where we hooked up and started really working on the pro tour. We were there at every tournament, everywhere. So if somebody has a problem and Indian was, he's not gonna say, I think there is a guy in New York where I'm gonna go to. You have to be there to be able to help him. So us being there at all the tournaments, big, small, every single one of them, whenever you came and you said, I think I have a problem, or you said, oh, the stringing at this tournament, I don't like it, I need help, we were there to help. And it also became a thing where the agents knew, yes. knew, knew Jay and Roman, and as part of the package, it was like, all right, you're with us now, yeah. you gotta go see Jay, let's get you sorted out, boom, boom, right? Yes, exactly. Anything as far as the rackets and the equipment and the string would come to mind, you would say, as an agent and stuff that's not your specialty, you would say, you know what, I don't know, but. I'll hook you up with the guy who really knows. And Jay kind of fizzled out. I mean, that's a whole, that's a story for it's a, a different movie. story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> good movie. Jay kind of ended his, his, uh, his he, he followed different interests, let's put yeah, it that way. Yeah, he followed yeah. different interests. But yeah. so now um, Andre really helped build the, the pro business in, immensely. Would you that be fair to say? I felt like everybody at that moment was copying Andre. You know what, we already work with a lot of pros, but obviously the, the weight of Andre, the weight of his name and all that stuff, you know, it's it can only help. So when people, like you say, you know, he was always the trendsetter. Everybody was, always. you know, whatever he did, people watched, paid attention to good or bad or whatever and followed it. So to have him as a client, and I traveled with him for 20 years to every single tournament, you know, to his home to do the training, to do the consulting on the court and stuff. So. Yeah, that helped a lot. But 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 the other part of that is is that he was like a perfect machine, and he could see the differences in his rackets, and he had real significant changes to his rackets. He could feel a difference in a gram. He could feel you know. You he know, it's funny because with him, like you know, he he gave me a page in his book, right? And he wrote beautiful things. I kind of, to be honest with you, for whatever he writes there, half of it I credit him. Because as you, you know, like everybody else, as long as you are, you know, use your brain, you always learn every day. There is never a day when you say, well, I know it all and don't tell me anything. So working with him basically and being able to listen and pay attention, you know, at least half of what I know, I learned really from him because you can't just say things and don't back it up. So by me saying something and him saying something the opposite and then we talk and discuss and and test and, and figure things out, that's what enabled me now to basically do what I do for, you know, using the Djokovic. It wasn't that I just said, this is what we are doing, here is your record, go, go and play. It was hours and hours and hours of discussion. Why, what? If we do this, what is gonna happen? What's gonna be the good, what's gonna be the bad? Can we afford it? And on and on and on. So. I credit Andre with, you know, again, half of what I know. You know, we've talked to Jim Courier recently, and he actually, when this all began in 1997, he was already kind of... He was my client from 97, and still is, still this day, But still, actually. he was struggling. He was never really able to attain that domination he had had. I had asked him about it. I said, you know, I remember you having some dead arm issues, and he's like, well, I had some injury issues at the end, but... 
as the game was changing, I was playing with that old St. Vincent Wilson, and that was not the right racket to be trying to compete with at that time. Jim's a black and white guy, you know, so there is no shade. So he's also, he knows what he wants, and he can be pretty stubborn. So the same was, let's say, the, the case kind of with Pete Sampras. You know, Pete Sampras playing with that old racket of his, you know, we were telling him for years and years, you need to upgrade, you need to change. Otherwise, you know, the game is changing, so you have to change with it. But some players are kind of unwilling to little go through these changes. I was, that was a five years ago or something, you know, an article with me in, uh, in Wall Street Journal. They were asking, can Federer still win a Grand Slam? And I said, unless he changes to bigger, wider frame that is going to have more power, no chance at all. If he does change, then it's a 50-50. You never know, but you are giving yourself a chance to do it. So he was able to do it. He went to the you know the pro staff 97. That's a very he, significant thing. That's uh, a big change. Roger yeah. changed the size of his the head of the racket. You know, so Jim wasn't willing to do it back then. And in kind of what these days you have to do it. You have to change, you have to grow with the game, otherwise it will pass you by. It'll pass you it by. It will pass you by. What Djokovic just did, he changed. You know, Nadal is, they, they are growing, they are changing. They are not just only changing, you know, the style, how they are playing. They are growing with it. I, I've if heard, you are flexible, you can, you know, you can be on top. I've heard that Rafa is very unparticular about his sticks. Uh, I don't agree with that. <clears throat> you know, what he does, for example, he doesn't have a personal stringer. He strings, <clears throat> he strings always on site at the stringing services but he knows what he wants. The second it won't be what he wants, he will be very particular. He'll know right away what it is, you know what I mean? So, Have you interacted with Rafa? Not on a personal level that I would be on court with him, but I know him from tournaments, yes. One of my favorite guys ever in the game of tennis. Have you strung his rackets? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. What is, Always the same tension. Which is what? <laughs> I think he strings at 55 pounds, if I'm not mistaken. And he pulls that black bobolot string? It's the bobolot, it's the thicker gauge, you know, what he grew up with, you know. 16 so gauge? No, he actually uses 15L. You're kidding. It's really thick. Oh. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. That's what he plays with. Yeah. Speaking of which, you know, I have I have few ideas for him if he's listening. <laughs> is that right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's funny because his coach is actually, he also coaches person in New York, one of those wealthy people. He flies the coach here and he coaches his son. So I just talked to them yesterday. I said, if you want to have a discussion about potentially trying something new, I have some ideas. Just like what I had for Djokovic, I would have some for him. For Rafa. For Rafa. But again, it's, you know... It's up to them. It's up to them. <laughs> um, do you have like a greatest moment in tennis? For me, it's, it comes down always to Davis Cup. Look, it's great to have Grand Slam winners to be there with Andre and all these. Those are amazing moments. But to me, Davis Cup is actually bigger because, you know, coming from a different country and then being picked as the, the one stringer for the U.S. Davis Cup team. And I've been doing it since like the 90s. The first one was in India. I don't remember if it was 94 or 96. So I've been to most of them. You know, I have actually two, two of the Davis Cup rings. We beat, you know, when we beat Russia. And so Davis Cup. Is, You've got a couple it. wins. The Davis Cup is amazing. That's pretty it's good. Amazing. Let's move into our fourth set. The fourth set, we call it the 10 ball scramble. It is not a deep dive. I just say something and you just say what comes into your mind. Uh-oh. <laughs> Fisher. Racket. That's what comes in? Just for, Sure. <laughs> Snowart. Racket. 
<laughs> Vocal. Rackets. Skis. Solinko. Strings. Not rackets. Not yet. Working on it. Wilson. I mean, everything. Rackets, machines, the game of tennis, yes. All right, I'm going to move off of this. This isn't going the way I wanted it to. <laughs> Your favorite tournament? Australian Open. Your favorite city? Melbourne. <laughs> Your favorite racket? Uh, to be honest, I don't have one. I don't, I just test rackets, so I don't have one. Your favorite string? Solenco, Hyper G. Really? Yeah. Why? Ability to spin the ball, to be able to hit the ball flat, to put the ball on a dime, even somebody with my limited skills, it, it helps me do all of that. Wow, wow shout wow. out to our friends at Solinko. Yeah. Um, that's a major I endorsement. Really, yeah, I personally like it a lot. I also like the strings that I make myself. You have your own? <laughs> we have our own everything, <laughs> yes. We'll have to check those out. Yeah. Who is the heaviest racket you ever made a racket for? Is it Mooster? Mooster and Sabatini. What about Mary Pierce? Didn't she have I a don't, I don't remember. Yeah. I don't remember. Lightest. Uh, Taylor Fritz right now, he makes his rackets are 295 grams unstrung, which is pretty amazing for a guy of that size, power. It's pretty amazing. Taylor Fritz with one of the lightest rackets one there is. One of the is. lightest rackets out there, yep. Um, but in general, a lot of players these days use much lighter rackets than you would think. Really? Yeah. Still. I always well, thought that was... Well, because they generate... It's, it all comes to racket head speed. Racket head speed. You know, so you, it's hard to generate racket head speed unless you're seven feet, 300 pounds with something heavy. So, the, you, know, you know, so they still get the, the power from the racket head speed. Quirkiest, uh, quirkiest... Uh, Tommy Haas. <laughs> what are some of the things that was... Uh... Tommy Haas is the greatest guy ever. I love that guy. But to talk about, you know, he always wanted something that even when he retired... He was always phenomenally finicky about his grips. Finicky. Finicky. To the point that it was, you know, I would be the only one doing them over and over and do them exactly the same and perfect. And he would say, I don't like this and this and this. And and he I would say, What is it that you don't like? And he would call it, Well, <laughs> the number two feels snaky. Feels what? Exactly. Snaky. Snake. What is snaky? Snaky. I don't know what that means. I never <laughs> knew what that means. So I said, okay, I'll do it unsnaky. When he retired, and he said, well, the, And it's a leather grip? The, 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 he used the cushion grip, actually. But when he retired, he said, Roman, you know when I was always telling you that the racket are, like the grips are snaky? I have no idea what that means. So it was hard to achieve something that, you know what I mean? So yeah, that was interesting. Tommy. Tommy. And Tommy. Awesome guy, awesome guy, phenomenal, amazing tennis player. This is our fifth and final set. We call this King of the Court. If you were king of tennis and you could just wave a scepter and you can make a change, what would you do? Um, first of all, what is your opinion of technology's role in the sport? Has it been good? Has it been bad? And what, if anything, would you change? Would you I make- think, you know, the technology in sport, in general, I think it's fantastic because it, it helps, you know, it's more fun. You hit bigger, harder, more angles. So everything, you know, we want always something exciting. So I think it is fantastic, the technology. I think as far as making, you know, the involvement of, let's say, tennis strings is fantastic. However, sometimes with, you know, the polyesters of the world, by their nature, they are, let's say, stiffer and harder. So they have a tendency to potentially hurt you if you are not up to it. 
So I think there should be some rules and regulations of limiting, let's say, kids use certain type of rackets, let's say weights or balances and, uh, and, and strings, you know, till a certain age. Because like a lot of parents, you know, they go and they put a seven, you know, seven-year-old with a polyester string because the seven-year-old hits more spin. You know, but in the meantime, the seven-year-old, by the time they are nine, they don't play tennis because they got hurt. So I think there should be a little bit more regulation, especially as far as the, the kids are concerned. What about just um, aesthetically, the, the, the tennis, it goes in waves, but quite often it looks a lot homogenous, right? It looks the same. I, would you, you speed up the courts? Would you speed up the balls? Would you... I wouldn't speed up anything. If anything, I think that, you know, the... The, the, the days of the really speedy courts were kind of ended with Andy Roddick and, you know, Johansson when everybody was serving 150 miles an hour and was ace, 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 and it became boring and not interesting. That's where Wimbledon changed the seeding of the grass to slow it down. So to be honest with you, I think the slower, little bit softer surfaces in general are better because that it's much more fun to watch and it's safer for the body. One thing that I kind of always think should be really, you know, the distinction between the professional tennis. Look, I don't play the same way as Rafa Nadal or Djokovic, right? Yet I am using the same tennis balls, right? If I go to tennis ball that it's, let's say, 5% lower pressure, now somebody on my level will, I will hit a lot more balls. I won't be just picking up- keep more balls on the court. I'll keep more balls on a court. There's gonna be less stress on my arm. You know, most people, when they hit with a lower pressure balls, they don't want to because they say, well, who do you think I am? I don't play with that. And it's true. I understand that. But certain minor adjustment to balls that would be the pro level could stay the same it is, but make kind of a the, the, the pro a club level player ball. club player ball that would be, you know, two, three, four person lower pressure or maybe tiny bit larger that it would become much more fun for people like me to play as opposed to picking balls, you know, at the end of the court. Well, you that's know, what we know. Keep too. it in court. That's great. Yeah. Change the ball. Minor change. Minor, minor change. change. You don't go to, you know, like the kids ball and all this. I get it. That's forget yeah, it. You don't need to minor change. change. You, minor you know, change. And whatever the testing is, two, three, four, five percent, whatever it is, you know. Because well, the thing but that experiment we, with it. But also, you know, to your point, you know, people quit tennis. We know that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> people quit tennis because you can't keep your level. Tennis is, you know, it's it's hard also to compete these days with other sports because, you know, look at my daughter, for example. I have two daughters, right? One tried squat tennis, didn't really like it, started playing squash, you know, achieved such a level that she now plays for Drexel University, you know, number eight school in the country as far as squash goes. My younger one, who was phenomenal tennis player, switched from tennis to squash because it's just, it's more rewarding right away. In tennis, it takes you 12 months of million lessons before you kind of start almost enjoying it because your level has to be really high up there to really enjoy it. I think USDA is doing a great job with the lower pressure balls, the smaller courts to make it more enjoyable. So it's already heading in that direction. So they are doing good things. But in general, a lot of people will, you'll go on a court, you'll hit with these heavy balls, you know, your arm hurts, it's not that much fun, so you quit. As opposed to possibly this change with the tennis balls, for example, larger or lower pressure or whatever it is, it might make it more enjoyable for the average person who just wants to, you know, move around and have some fun. Well, listen, I mean, you can't learn more about 
Racket Technology then from, from you. Um, thank you very much. Thank it was you. so it was good fun. to see you again. You were released. Nice, thanks. Thank you to everyone for listening. If you want to help support Under Review, get some great perks, visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash underreviewtennis. We really appreciate it. Huge thank you to Roman Prokis. If you want to have your rackets modified like the pros, you can find Roman at rpnytennis.com. I highly recommend you do that. If you love tennis, it's one of the coolest things you can do. Big thank you to our Patreon supporters, Jennifer Tuft, Jake Diamond, and Jason Tang. Thank you all for listening. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe, rate, and review us. Tell your friends. We can be found on iTunes, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and everywhere else you get your podcasts. We also love hearing from you, so if you have a topic you want explored or a person you want to hear from, please let us know. Our email is info at underreviewtennis.com. At UR with CS is our Twitter handle. Under Review Tennis is our Instagram and Facebook. Our producer is Scott Tuft, and our music is by Brian Senti. Jason Binnick did our mix. We'll be back next time with more of the most interesting voices in the sport. Till then, I'm Craig Shapiro, and you are released.